Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. This week's guest is Corinne Malcolm. Corinne is an ultra runner, coach, writer, and scientist with a degree in health and human performance living in San Francisco, California. We sat down to chat about all things ultra running and science, and this one had a lot of tangible takeaways for athletes, particularly heading into the summer. We talked about heat and altitude, as well as what got her into high performance sport as both an athlete and on the scientific side of things. Corinne was training for Nordic skiing at the Olympic level and talked about how she was overtrained during the 2010 to 2012 Olympic cycle and biathlon and instead found the trails and mountains and hasn't looked back. We talked about how to find joy in the day-to-day, how to reframe discomfort as something productive, and so much more. Enjoy. I am here with Corinne Malcolm in the middle Richmond in California. So uh, Corinne is a trail runner, ultra runner, uh, skier, scientist, coach, all of the above, uh, and I'm super stoked to chat with her today. So thanks for... uh, Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming to my living room. Of course, it's uh, we we have um, we since sound quality is is the the biggest priority on on this podcast. We have propped up a bunch of uh, we have propped up our microphones on these uh, science textbooks, so uh, we are we are good to go here. <laughs> so, um, so you are you got into running. Not as the initial sport of of choice. Um, so what what was the what was the sort of reasoning or or reason that you got out that door the first time? Yeah. So what I think a lot of people might not know about my running is that I actually I come from a Nordic skiing background. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, and we were kind of required to do three sports growing up. But kept us out of trouble in Wisconsin in the small town. Um, in between shoveling snow. In between shoveling lots of snow and being very cold. Um, I got into Nordic skiing or cross-country skiing. And for cross-training in the summer, we did a lot of running. Um, it was the part of soccer that I was good at. It was something that I really enjoyed. Um, I ran a little bit in college. Not really. Um, I was on loan from the ski team, literally. <laughs> like They were like, hey, we've got a bunch of hurt hurt runners that one looks like she can run okay like can we borrow her and i would just show up to cross country meets um generally underprepared but like really happy to be there um and so when i transitioned out of ski racing being on the trails and being in the mountains was just a really natural fit for me i came back from kind of being super overtrained um through the 2010 2014 olympic cycle um for for biathlon actually 
um, for skiing and shooting and trails and trail running in the mountains was just home. And it was second nature to be back there. Cool. One of the things that, um, that I love about your running is you always do it with a smile on your face. And I remember seeing you cross the finish line at Western States this year and, or last year, and you had this like, this like glow and it was like 1230 at night. And you were just like high out of your mind on, on endorphins from, from crossing that finish line. So like, how do you, how do you get that? How do you get there? How do you, you know, experience that on, on day-to-day runs, not just, you know, crossing a hundred mile finish line? Yeah. I mean, crossing a hundred mile finish line is special, obviously. Or I mean, crossing any race finish line is special. It's, it's a celebration of kind of all the hard work and all the training or everything that's gone into getting there. Western States was kind of a weird and special experience for me because we had just moved moved from um, Washington to California. Corinne wanted it to be like a hometown race, so she moved to, to California <laughs> the week of Western States. Perfectly optimal conditions, I'm sure. Yeah, very, very optimal. Um, my poor partner had to carry all of our belongings up, <laughs> up four stories. Um the week of Western States, because I refused to help carry things up and <laughs> I'm down tapering, the damn I'm it. tapering. Um, so for us, it was kind of, it was a day where, and I feel about, I feel this way about a lot of ultras is that it's the easiest part of it. Like all I have to do that day is run. Like I'm not responsible for anything. I don't have to think about anything else. Um, people are like, what do you think about for 12 hours or 20 hours? And I'm like, nothing. And it's, it's really nice. It's nice to kind of have that, that time. It's, it's kind of all about you, um, or all about kind of your community. And I don't know, I don't have to focus on anything besides moving from aid station to aid station. And that's really, that's a nice feeling. And that definitely makes me smile. But on the day to day runs there, I mean, there are runs that I don't want to get out the door for, for sure. I am known for sitting at trailheads in my car for 20 (laughs) minutes. Um, trying to get out of my, out of my car and onto the trail. And I tell myself to give myself 20 minutes. And if I really, if I'm really not into it, 20 minutes from my car, I can probably turn around and go home. Like I can run back to my car and call it a day. But generally in 20 minutes, I like, I've, I've warmed up, I feel better. And I'm, I'm just kind of happy that I've got this time to myself to either push myself in intervals and like practice being uncomfortable, or it's just, it's a break from, from emails and studying and, everything else that you've got going on. And that's kind of a reward in and of itself. Definitely. So we're sitting here in front of 10 textbooks about science and mountain, mountain medicine for mountain guides and practical programming for strength training. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about that. You know, what's your, what's your background on, on the educational side of things? So I have my bachelor's degree in health and human performance, which was kind of their combination between like pre-PT and exercise science um, when I went to school in Bozeman, Montana. I then went to graduate school. Um, I was fascinated by research as an undergrad. You couldn't keep me out of the lab. Um, I think we were required to either do an internship or like three credits worth of research. And I did 15 credits worth of research. (laughs) Um, you You couldn't keep me out of the lab. And I wanted to go to grad school. Um, and I did, and I went and studied environmental physiology at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, to kind of have a better understanding of how the human body um, can not only survive, but thrive in really adverse environments. So particularly heat and humidity and also altitude. Um, 
I've always been fascinated by that. And skiing was like an inherent science. Like skiing is the nerdiest sport. <laughs> like not like not only is it like full body spandex, yeah. like literally full body spandex, it is so heavily science driven that I think I fell in love with that at kind of an early age. And I was convinced I was going to be a physiologist from like 16 on. Like I sent an email to the head physiologist of the U.S. ski team as a 16 year old being like work for you. No, I didn't even say that. I said, I want your job. How do I get there? <laughs> I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And he wrote back this really long response, like took time out of his day to be like, yeah, OK, like this is what you need. This like, you know, you need your Ph.D., but it's really about, you know, making relationships with people and and putting in the time in labs and getting that experience um you know shaking the hands walking through doors that kind of stuff and you know it it shaped my perspective on on science and that and that field you know he was the guy who told me that um that physiology is shades of gray that it's not these black and white things and that that fascinated me that you know the the response of you know it depends is you know, should be, you know, should be followed up with more explanation, but that that is an okay answer because it does like in science, it does, it does depend. And at this point in my science career, I'm actually a retired graduate student. Um, I'm no, I'm, I've got like 80% of a master's degree, just no, no thesis defense. Um, and I'm happy with that right now. I'm science writing, which is kind of my favorite part of science. Like I get to read everything and then figure out ways to translate that so that we all can kind of glean value from it yeah so you've done some really cool writing on um i run far and a few other places what have been some of the projects you've been most excited to to share um i think kind of like on personal levels like i really i wrote um about iron absorption and that was just like a really i've like had a long a long run with kind of a weird anemia and so i'm personally fascinated by that i also um i've really enjoyed writing I mean, I, I like learning totally new things. Like I'm working on a, a article right now on gut training and I've got some kind of stuff spinning in the wheelhouse, which is totally new for me, totally new information, but, um, getting to write about kind of lung health and athletes, which was what I wanted to go to grad school for to begin with, um, has been really like those, like sharing that and having people come back and be like, that helps me understand like my breathing problems. Or like, this gives me something to go to my doctor with. And that feels really good to like, not have it be like all about performance and have it right. also be about like health. the health of an athlete. Yeah. So how do you take what you're learning, um, in that regard and apply it to your own performance? Are you one of the, those people that it's, you know, totally siloed and you need someone to help, help you out? Or are you taking what you're learning, um, and and you're able to apply it to to what you're doing on the performance side of things. So I think it's a, it's a combination, right, of everything. Like you need your team around right. you. You need people to bounce ideas off of. And I'm definitely my own experiment for sure. I mean, N of one, yeah. N of one, which is like not always, you know, that's not something that I would go prescribe off of. But I want to, you know, I want to take what I'm learning. I'm I'm super skeptical, and I would kind of encourage people to be skeptical that there's no kind of one right answer. And that's how, that's what physiology boils down to. We, we get these, these test results and we see, oh, it didn't, it didn't work. And the truth is it didn't work for 60% of the participants, but it did work for 40%. And why is that? Um, and so I totally, you know, I'm constantly experimenting and, and I'm trying to utilize, sometimes I do it well, sometimes I don't, but I try to utilize what I know, like cooling strategies for Western States or heat acclimation for a really hot race. Um, 
I try to listen to my own advice and, and heed it a little bit, but it's not, it's not perfect. And you kind of have to be ready to bounce with that. Definitely. So last year, Western States, it was a nice, nice toasty, to- toasty day in the canyons. Um, what, what were some of your approaches to, to managing that heat? So for Western States last year, I try, I tried to do heat acclimation ahead of time, the best of, to the best of my ability. I don't like overdressing. I don't think overdressing is a great strategy for keeping kind of high quality workouts in your schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, so I used a sauna protocol kind of leading into the race just to, to have kind of a daily dose for about a week, kind of two weeks out before, basically before the move. And then I moved here and kind of rolled into Western States. (laughs) Um, but during the race, because it is dry, um, it's not a humid heat. I knew that I could like I could utilize evaporation, like that evaporative cooling of um, basically your sweat or water on your skin um, evaporating off that surface causes a, a change in the temperature gradient and is actually like the most effective way of cooling a person down more or less. So we just pack. I mean, we packed ice on me. I I left aid stations ten pounds heavy <laughs> just carrying ice. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. I'd never seen that in a race before. That. Everyone would come through and just put ice in their hat, in their shorts, in their sports bras, and everything. I was like, "Wow, that's interesting." Yeah, I, you see it a lot, um, like in road cycling and in mountain biking. So my crew actually made these. We call them ice socks, and we we take nylons and we basically make giant ice balls. <laughs> um, and I ran with a pack that had a big long pocket, and what that does is it keeps the ice from bouncing out. Or on a cyclist, it keeps the ice from like fall just falling right. out the bottom of their jersey or out the bottom of their suit, and so. Um, we would just shove these like ice logs basically into the back of my pack and it would hold that ice together instead of it, you know, bouncing out as I ran down the trail. And I think keeping yourself cool like that also allows you to do things like eat, right? Right. Cause you've got, you've got blood going to your stomach and not just to the surface of your skin. And, and, uh, that's, that's critical in a race that long. Definitely. The other component is, and you mentioned it is the altitude. So starts up at, you know, Squaw Valley up in Squaw Valley. What were some of the things that you've done to help from an altitude standpoint? Is there some crossover between using the sauna or were there other approaches to um, prep for the altitude? Yeah, so it totally depends on on the person. For me and kind of what I've experimented with is what we call cross acclimation, which is, which is utilizing something like heat or the sauna to actually create an adaptation that would be beneficial in a different environment. So in this case, it's the altitude. Um, everything that happens when you heat acclimate, including, um, you know, expansion of your blood volume, all those things are beneficial when you go up in elevation. And there's some like kind of, I mean, I don't want to call them sketchy, but there's like ways that you can push heat acclimation to, to do things, um, like increase EPO release, which would in theory boost your red blood cell count. And there are, there's some small studies that look at this. There's a bunch of like case study-esque um, projects that have gone on and it's not, it's not a perfect defined science right now, I would say, but it's, it's worth personal experimentation as long as you like don't have kidney disease, obviously <laughs> that's like something that you want to be careful with. Um, but yeah, so I utilize, you're not, you're not at altitude for that long. You're up high at the beginning of the race and you're kind of, con- you descend a lot over that first 50 K as well. So you get out of it relatively early. And then you just transition into the heat, which right. has similar terrible <laughs> effects on your body, but it's different. Um, if I, when I went and did Leadville in 2017, um, 
I was fortunate enough that I was able to spend three weeks at, alt at altitude ahead of time, um, kind of road tripping through the Western U.S. to get up. I lived at sea level in Washington at the time, and I knew that that was going to be important to run Leadville to be able to eat and run at that at that elevation. And so the best thing, the you know the easiest thing anyone can do is is to try to get that week of altitude exposure ahead of time. But it's not easy, obviously, for everyone who have. More. Sorry, boss. I gotta, I gotta take two weeks here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Most people can't, you know, just uh, drop everything and and um, and you know take a little training camp or a, a two weeks. When I've I've heard that that there are two ways to do it. One is to give the week, two weeks, or the other is just shock the system, show up and race the next day. Is is there any merit to to that approach? There, there is. There definitely is a lot of research about kind of showing up the night of a race. Um, I think that that's probably easier for shorter races than it is for longer races, just because that first 24 hours at altitude, um, you've got a bunch of kind of, your body starts to prep for altitude all of a sudden. So it does things like you, it dehydrates you in a way and to try to increase your hematocrit really quickly, um, which is good. You say decrease or increase? To It, it, it increases your hematocrit by hyper-concentrating it by decreasing your blood volume. So you need to drink more to offset that. Yeah. Um, but that's not a, an easy um, feeling, obviously. That's kind of why like the first day at altitude might feel fine. And then day two, 24 right, hours later, you, feel like, you feel like crap. And that's because your body is being dehydrated to try to boost that hematocrit which then in turn, you know, to, to survive basically right. have greater <laughs> oxygen carrying capacity. And, uh, that definitely makes you feel crummy. So that first 24 hours, you can kind of sneak stuff in, but if you're racing a hundred, that might be a little harder to do right. because, you know, at that point you're probably three quarters of the way into your race. Makes sense. So, so some takeaways there would be drink more, eat more, right? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely, um, there's a ton of research out there about kind of your, um, your metabolism kind of skyrocketing when you get to altitude, particularly um, taking in a little extra carbohydrate more readily. And people, I think, racing at altitude need to recognize that too, that you're probably going to be burning um, more carbohydrates per hour than you're used to. And so being able to to offset that, um, or you might feel a little bit bonkier than you expected. And that's that's part of the altitude effect. Makes sense. And uh, and and it's a perfect opportunity to mention that eating is training. So the, the, the idea that, um, you have to do these things that, that support what you're doing, not only in day to day, but to account for, um, changes in, in where you are. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, you can, you can train to eat or you can eat to train. And I kind of, think there's a cyclical <laughs> yeah, a little um, bit of approach both. there. I definitely, sometimes I feel like I'm like, Oh, I've had those you know, dozen Girl Scout cookies. I should probably go for a run <laughs> now. Thin mints? Uh, no, no, definitely not. You can get away with a lot of Thin Mints. Nice. They're, they're sneaky. Yes. Um, so let's, one of the things that I've enjoyed talking with you over the years about is the sponsorship and the partnerships that you have or you're looking for and things like that. So let's talk a little bit about um, how, how that keeps your world rolling. Um, one of the things that that I've heard from people listening to this podcast is that they love the, the insight into like, what is, what is the life of a pro athlete or what is the life of an elite athlete um, behind the scenes that people generally don't get to see. So let's hear a little bit more about some of the partnerships you have and, and we'll go from there. Sweet. Yeah. So I, um, this is, I guess my third year running ultras more or less. Um, I ran, I was very fortunate that kind of Solomon USA took a, 
took a risk, took a chance on me when I first kind of came into the sport to give me just a little bit of support and a little bit of, of care and put shoes on my feet. Um, and that, that was great. And I feel like over the last, you know, two, two and a half years, I've, I've kind of created a little, little space for myself within it. And part of that is just like showing up to really competitive races. And I mean, I don't, I don't win things very often. I would not say I'm like a, some sort of like star star athlete not yet not maybe (laughs) not yet someday um but part of it is is showing up at those kind of more meaningful events to to sponsors um and and kind of over the past um year that's transitioned for me and i'm for this for this year i'm running for adidas terex um just kind of pushing into the trail market and it's it's great because you know, coming on too, they, they valued the fact that I'm doing a bunch of other stuff. They value the fact that I'm a coach and that I'm a science writer and that, you know, they, they, they value like the family aspect of that too. And kind of understanding that their athletes are people and have all these other things going on in their lives. And they want to kind of highlight those and, and help and help with those things. Um, which has been really, really wonderful. Um, part of that too, is working with companies like Inside Tracker. Um, who have helped me with my health over the last several years, trying to figure out my anemia. Um, yeah, they're not easy partnerships to build, but they're, it's kind of, I mean, they're purely their relationships, right? They're finding those like kind of personal connections. Um, I didn't get an Adidas contract cause I'm like some superstar runner. It's like, they liked that I was a skier right? and then I came from a ski background and that like really connected with them, um, that I have a different take on, on running and I come from a different I'm not a roadrunner transitioning into the sport. I kind of have a different athletic background. Um, I think that was appealing for them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to kind of have that support, but it's hard to, to, to not seek validation in that. It's really like, I had to grapple with that a lot this year. Like, am I looking to sponsors to validate my running? And you can't, like, you can't, you have, like, you have to have validation for yourself in that you can't. It becomes a really slippery slope, I think, when those relationships become that validation. Does that make sense? Definitely. And one of the the um, one of the things that's been one of the themes that's been consistent with all people that have come on the podcast so far is the the approach of the process versus a, like a physical result or a tangible result. So it's it's less about you know. I got a contract with this company or I you know, have a partnership with this company more about, you know, the continual progress forward and, and things like that. So how do you focus or how do you, how do you manage that balance between like race results and continual enjoyment of, you know, day to day and and what you're doing? It's, it's hard because you, you kind of feel like you need to prove yourself. Um, I think I'm in a, in, an interesting or a different position in part because I, I've been through the gauntlet once before I was, I spent, you know, three and a half years on a, on a national team tra- chasing an Olympic spot and lived in a fishbowl literally at the Olympic training center. And I felt like I had to prove myself and that changed the sport for me in a lot of ways. I felt like I was never living up to these expectations that I don't think anyone was placing on me. I think I was placing them on me, right. but I felt this pressure to perform, to prove that I belonged there to, which I shouldn't have needed to do at all. I don't think the coaches felt that or felt that need. 
Um, but that was, I've, I learned that and I learned that kind of the hard way. And that I think allows me now to be in a position where, although, you know, we have these kind of contractual obligations to sponsors to know that it still has to be something that I enjoy doing and something that I want to do every day. And that it's nice to have the support from these companies or from these outside sources and they make it easier to put in the work right. a little bit, right? Like the help that it helps, but I've got it. It's still got to be for me and it's got to be not about proving myself, but about, um, going through the, like the little steps, you know, checking the boxes every day. And then like, hopefully the results come from that. Like if, I think if you focus on like the macro and the, the end goal, that's, I mean, that's a spiral. Yeah. That's, you know, a downward, a downward, um, obsessive, negative path. Whereas I know that if I focus on like, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible athlete, which sound like, sounds like a weird statement, but I'm like, I'm not good at recovery. I'm okay at diet. I'm, I sleep mediocre. And for the first time in maybe five or six years, I've realized that I'm, I'm ready and willing to start checking off those little boxes again. And hopefully by checking off those little boxes, by showing up every day, that leads to X, Y, or Z result at the end of the day. But that's it's about the the journey or the process and not that end goal as much. Definitely. The the conversation I had with uh, Ben Rosario, who's the coach of the Hoka Northern Arizona elite team, was almost exactly that. He said that we don't talk about race results at the beginning of the season. We talk about let's check the boxes on a day-to-day basis. If you do that, the results will come. And they'll be great. Or they might not be great. But you'll you'll thrive and you'll enjoy yourself along the way. And that's, that's the only way to, to continue. And, um, Dave, my coach, David put a really interesting, um, comment in my, in my training log one day after I raced a 5k and I was a little disappointed in the time, but super pumped about the, the effort. And he said, athletes that, that base their self-worth on a time or a place burnout end of story. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's that I've seen it. I feel like David and I've had a lot of these conversations over the years. Yeah. Um, I've known David probably for the last five years, um, is about your self-worth being tied up in your results. And I've been there yeah. and I've like, it is, it's hard. And I've seen it with kids. Like I I've coached, I've coached a ton of kids over the years, both in running and in skiing. And, you know, I've got these 12 year olds who are like panicky before races. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, okay, like, is your mom, are like, are your mom and dad going to love you? Like independent of the result today. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Probably, I was like, yeah. is your sister going to love you? And they're like, yeah, I guess. And I'm like, okay. I was like, am I, I was like, am I going to love you? Which like might be a weird thing to ask a five year old. I was like, I was like, am I going to feel differently about you? To, like based on how you raced today? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, like there's nothing, you've got nothing to lose then. Right. Like it's, I see it in kids. I see it in adults. I see it in, you know, adult athletes that I coach now. Um, it's really easy to tie up your self-worth in those, it, like in the results and the numbers and the values. Um, and instead you're like, you've got to place that self-worth somewhere else. You've got to, it's got to be about you as a human and not, not you as a, as a number. Cause no one cares. No yeah. one cares. What your At the end of the day, like, nobody cares. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, are you satisfied with the work you put in? Are you satisfied with the effort when it got, when it got uncomfortable, did you back off or did you say, bring it on. Yeah. Let's make it hurt more. Oh, the pain train. <laughs> I love it. I think that's, um, 
something that I'm seeing skiers bring more and more to the sport. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to adopt Caitlin Gerben. I don't like, she's not <laughs> technically a Nordic skier, but she's got that same mentality where like those, those athletes know how to hurt and it's innate. I think they're like, they're taught that as like young, young skiers. Cause like five K's on skis, like that's uncomfortable. And I think cross country runners, way. It's, yeah, it turns out that it's like really awkward. And I had this, one of my friends growing up, her dad would be like, okay, like if you know, it's going to hurt, if you go into the race, knowing it's going to hurt, that's, that's it's the best. It's like, that sets you up for success. And I tell my athletes that I'm like, we're not going into this race, like into this ultra pretending it's going to be okay. Like it's at some point right. it's going to suck. Gonna hurt, yeah. It's going to hurt. And like the difference is like, you have to be ready for that. Right. So I had a chat a few weeks ago with a sports psychology consultant and that was what we talked about for 20 minutes. And, and her, her takeaway or her advice was you can't be afraid of the pain and you get literal pain and you can't be afraid that that's going to happen because it's going to happen. And instead, if you, if you welcome it and you invite it in, then it's like you're in a whole different ball game and it's like okay let's go and and this was i did this interview a couple days after i raced a 5k and 5k is just like they hurt they hurt so much from the gun and it's just like pedal down the whole way but i i remember i was i was getting through the second mile and that like fatigue started to settle in and i was like let's fucking go bring it on (laughs) and and it's such a like empowering feeling and it's just like i had this like fire in me that i just like make it hurt more yeah and and cruise on home and and i don't know how you how you prepare for that other than just like well it's about showing up yeah. right it's i think you prepare for that by doing the intervals that scare you like yeah. i've started to do some workouts again and they're not fast. They're like, they're not pretty. Like I have no hemoglobin, so I can't go uphill <laughs> that well right now. But like, it feels so good to be uncomfortable. Um, that same friend's dad who'd be like, you got to be ready to hurt would be like, you can survive anything for three to five minutes. Yeah. You can survive anything for that long. And so I'm doing these like three minute and four minute uphill efforts over the last couple of weeks. And like, they suck. Like they hurt, but that's good. Like that's practice like that. Like, you can go into that workout prepared for defeat or you can go into that workout like knowing that it's those intervals are going to hurt, right. but it's going to be awesome. Yeah. David had me go from uh, one minute on one minute off at, at 5k and marathon and we, pro- that was 15 by, by one and then progressed to a 10 by two, uh, 10k and marathon. And it's just like, it just felt so good. Yeah. And it's just like, it's done in 30 minutes but it's like it's but that second workout would have scared the shit out of me before i completed the first workout and the first workout scared the shit out of me before i started the run but then i did it and it's like okay next yeah you're re- like you're ready for it there's this really good book it's by a canadian sports psychologist it's kind of dry it's definitely a little bit dry it's called the pursuit of excellence it's on the bookshelf somewhere i don't think it's in our pile <laughs> um but it's it was given to me when I was a ski racer and it is about kind of tools and techniques to kind of choose how you're going to react to situations because it's all about this idea that you can only control so much. Right. right. And, and in biathlon, control the controllables, yeah, control yeah. The controllables. and in biathlon, like there was a lot that I couldn't control. Like I was going to come into the range is going to be windy or whatever might happen. And so 
it teaches you a lot about, or it's really good to, to read about knowing that you get to choose how you're going to react and respond to situations. So you can go into the warm up and be like, I feel crummy. Or you can go to the workout and be like, I'm getting there. Like, like forgive yourself, like allow yourself some space to kind of like choose to think positively about things as opposed to like embracing those. I mean, you have to embrace the, neg- the negative sometimes. Like there are definitely times in ultras where I'm like, this sucks. And that's okay. Cause you're just like admitting that it does, but you also have to choose to be okay with it sucking or okay with it hurting um, or okay feeling maybe a little bit under during your warm up, but don't write it off. Like don't, it'll pass. It'll pass. Like don't like you have the choice to kind of embrace those moments and be positive about those moments um, and re- like, and choose how you respond and react to what's going on around you. Cause someone might be being like crappy at the race start and you can either let the, that person like bother you or you can like tune them out and be like, and avoid it or ignore them for the time being and then cope with it later. But it's, it's, you have to be ready to kind of, to choose, like to choose to think positively or to choose to be in a, like put yourself in a good place. Definitely. Um, so your coach, what are, what, what would 2019 Corinne coach, you know, 2010 Corinne on? Or, you know, Corinne just getting into ultra running. What 2016, Corinne, what what words of wisdom would you have for for newbie uh, ultra runner, Corinne? Uh, I mean, to be patient. I think it's really, I mean, endurance sports are are different. It's, there's not a lot of instant gratification. Um, and I was so hungry. I was like, hung, you know, that same hunger that I've had my whole life to, yeah. to prove myself to... You know, I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm a competitive person, but clearly that's not accurate. Um, but to, to be patient, there's no rush, um, to, to run that hundred mile race, to run that, to run that hundred K race, whatever it might be that there's a lot of anxiety, I think about, you know, signing up for races and getting your Western States qualifier and all that kind of stuff. But you have a lot of time to, to do, to do that. And I think, now, now me, and I have this conversation with a lot of athletes is, um, is about that is about, you know, being, being patient and setting a race calendar and understanding that you can't do them all this year. And that is okay. I think the other thing I would, unless you're Mike Wardian, unless you can do them all this year. Yeah. I don't know how Mike does it. (laughs) He is a, a whole different, whole different beast. Um, and I think, the other thing too is just um I don't know, giving yourself time to to embrace and find your spot in the sport. There's a lot of, there's so many different types of races and styles of races. Um I think a lot of my athletes, there's this dissonance between what makes them happy and their goals. And as a coach, it's my job to rectify that. Yeah. Um, or help them through that. Um like maybe you really love running in the mountains, but your goal is to race, I don't know, run rabbit run, which that would work. But if you were trying to race Rocky raccoon, totally different. Like if you, if you like running on the roads, but you really want to run a 50 mile, like, okay, there's, there's going to be good 50 miles and bad 50 miles and picking something that's challenging, but might fit your strengths or might fit the training that you actually want to be doing. 
Um, that's a hard thing to balance for a lot of people. I think you can run a long race on very limited time during your week. I work with a lot of really busy athletes, but there's a difference between like the athletes who want to do the hill work and therefore can run a hilly race versus the athletes who like really only like running on the beach. And so training for like UTMB is a little bit challenging. And so trying to, to rectify what they actually like versus what they think they want to do. Right. And like what's possible from a training perspective. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that are possible. I'm constantly blown away. I have an athlete who was, who lives in Florida and was prepping for a Arctic, like an Arctic race. And like, we did a lot of tire dragging on the beach because that was like the closest thing to like hiking in the snow, oh. pulling a sled was, um, it's creative. so you can, you can be creative. You can do a lot of interesting things with very limited time, resources, and space. Um, but you have to be hungry to do it. And you have to want to do it, and those two things sometimes are not are not aligned. And that's I had to learn that for myself. Like I've definitely raced a lot of fast ultras that do not fit my strengths <laughs> or my likes. Um, but for me, that was about developing as an athlete. And you don't have to do that, but it's good to have someone help you kind of navigate what those goals actually mean to you. Definitely. What gets you really excited? Um, glorified hiking races. <laughs> like I'm so excited about UTMB. Um, I got to do live commentary for that last year and like watching the carnage. Your, your commentary was incredible. So <laughs> watching the carnage made me so excited. Like, and there was a lot, there was so much carnage. <laughs> I, um, I got to come and do the commentary for when, uh, Zach Miller was having like that epic leg locking cramping episode and, I know that feeling and I appreciate Zach's racing style and watching that unfold and getting to kind of speak to it was amazing. Um, like I grappled with doing Western States again this year or not. Like I was top 10 last year. So like, obviously I should do it again this year. It's not my style of race except for the environmental elements and Meaning the heat and altitude, like the heat and, the altitude yeah. and maybe snow this and the snow. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would, I would be, if I didn't do it this year and it was like a cold year and every, it was like, you know, that everyone like set fast times, that would not bother me. I'd be happy to miss that race. But for me to not do it, to like pull my name out of the out of the race and then for it to be like epic snow at the beginning and then like all time high heat in degrees. the canyon, <laughs> like I would be so bummed if I missed that and that like. I've always thrived in conditions that other people find uncomfortable. And I don't know if that's something that I taught myself or if it's something that was innate, um, but I like that. And yeah. so like, I'm excited for the carnage at Western States. I'm excited for the carnage at UTMB. I'm hoping to not be part of the carnage <laughs> at either one of those races. But that's like, that's really exciting to me. Like, how do you handle, because it's not about fitness anymore. It's like not at all about fitness. That is entirely about like, do you have what it takes on that day mentally to, to get through that? Definitely work the problem as Devin says. Yeah. Work the problem. I like that. What are some of the tips you would have for new ultra runners or someone looking to make a leap in distance? Um, I would say like, don't, how do I put this? Don't count yourself out. That's like my favorite piece of advice. It's so easy to get on a on a start line or to look at a race sign up and be like, can I actually run 50K? Can I actually run 50 miles? Or to get to a start line and be like, wow, everyone here is so fast. Yeah. Like, I am, like, I think this. I get to start lines and I'm like, <laughs> all the women look so fast. Um, 
don't you're one of those fast ones I, I know but i feel that way like i look around and i get scared but it's like the saying like if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room yeah maybe i don't know <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where um it's really easy to to think that you can't do something it's a lot i don't know i think one of my greatest strengths as an ultra runner is that I am totally oblivious as to what I'm capable of. And I think that's a, a good trait to have. You, If you go into a race questioning if you can do it or not, um, that's really hard mentally to kind of grapple with that over the course of the day. And if you go in being like, why can't I run 50 miles? I mean, do the training, obviously. Like off the couch to that would be very scary. <laughs> um, and that might that might prove yourself that, you know, the why can't part of that. But it's... Don't count yourself out. Don't don't count yourself out when it hurts at mile 60. Don't count yourself out when, you know, you get to the start line and everyone looks fast. Like, I like to think that anyone could win on any day. And on the competitive side of things, like, if anyone can win on any day, that means I could maybe win too. And that's a better place, I think, to be sitting at the start line than, like, I'm going to win or I might win. Right. Like, you need you need to provide yourself that space and flexibility to allow yourself to have a good day or allow yourself to run that new distance. Um, yeah. So don't like, I'd embrace those challenges and embrace that unknown instead of, you know, questioning if it's feasible or not. Definitely. Cool. Um, well, this was a blast. What, uh, where can people find you on, on the social media world in the social media world? Yeah, so I am on everything, I think, unless there's some cool new app that the, <laughs> Meerkat. the kids are using that I don't know about, which is very likely. Um, I'm just Corinne Malcolm at, you know, at Corinne Malcolm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I have a blog that's, you know, I write on like once or twice a year, but it's good when I do write. Um, and that's just CorinneMalcolm.com. Um, there's links to contact me there. Also links to contact me about coaching there or questions. Um, I'm always happy to answer those questions. They can find that contact information on those websites. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.